0: I'm Alex Marlowe, editor in chief of Breitbart News, and author of the New York Times best-selling book "Breaking the News." And this is the very first ever Breitbart News Daily podcast from SiriusXM and Breitbart. And uh, this is such a thrill. And we're going to get to all the news of the day: Halloween microaggressions, Biden and the Pope, climate summits without China, Democrats on the ropes in Virginia, and my exclusive interview with our first guest, Tom Cotton, Senator from Arkansas. Uh, But first, I want to extend a hearty welcome to anyone who is new to Breitbart News Daily. And I will tell you a little bit about us in a moment, what we do. And what I do on the show, what I do for Breitbart, and, of course, a special welcome to the Soros-funded freaks who monitor shows like these to try to find dunks, to try to toxify people on social media. You're welcome as well, and uh, maybe you'll learn a thing or two. Maybe you'll even enjoy yourselves. Um, But I am Alex Marlowe. I was the first employee of Breitbart News about 15 years ago, hired by Andrew Breitbart while I was a student uh, at UC Berkeley, and I became editor-in-chief about eight years ago, almost exactly eight years ago. And I've been hosting the show, Breitbart News Daily, the morning drive show on SiriusXM Patriot, the conservative station on SiriusXM, since pretty much late 2016 uh, when Steve Bannon, who was the previous host, uh, took over the Trump campaign right before Trump's election. And I've been here ever since. And it, we've created something that I think is a very meaningful show and something with a really deep connection towards uh, with an audience. That is uh, strong and growing and is very exciting to be able to share our content with people who do not necessarily have a SiriusXM subscription, but hopefully maybe one day you will get it because you're getting essentially what is a director's cut of what we do on Breitbart News Daily every day, which is a three-hour live radio broadcast uh, where we have maybe three guests a day typically and a lot of caller interaction. Um, it, One of the highest call volume shows across all the XM platforms. And on the podcast, what we will do is we're going to have a format. Format is basically going to be my opening segment of the show, uh, which is typically a monologue where I break down the headlines that we have at Breitbart.com, give you my commentary and analysis and play clips of what we think are the best audio uh, bits from the last day or so. And then uh, we will always look towards the future. And this is something that Breitbart has always done particularly well. Uh, Be it spotting the uh, immigration crisis at our southern border, be it spotting Brexit, the threat of red China, the threat of big tech, the threat of cheat by mail, and even the rise of Trump. Uh, We've always been ahead of the curve, and that's something that I want to try to bring to you every day on the broadcast, and then we will play one of my interviews ...that we do every day. Typically, we do about three, uh, but we'll play one highlight. Uh, today, it's going to be Senator Tom Cotton, which is really exciting. But again, the, for the whole show, you go to SiriusXM, uh, the SXM app, you can get the show on demand. You can also listen live every morning, 6 a.m. Eastern Time. Uh, but as far as my background... Uh, goes. Uh, I've been at Breitbart for my whole career. I uh, interned for Leary Elder previously. Before that, I think that was what got me in the door with Andrew. And I learned a lot from Andrew. And I've had a a incredible education being at sort of the tip of the spear of the culture wars. But I also learned a lot from the audience, and that's one of the things that. Breitbart does very well as we have a connection with beat our commenters, the callers to the show, and that's going to be a big feature in the broadcaster. So we're going to have a caller of the day. Every day we'll highlight one of the best callers or one of the most interesting callers. Uh, who we talk to on the Sirius XM show. So that's another cool feature that we're going to have for you uh, on the podcast. Um, I also would recommend, if you want to follow me on social media, you can go to alexmarlow.com. You can see all my socials there. I've got some photos up of my uh, pumpkin carving acumen that uh, I've been developing over the years for Halloween, uh, which we will get into momentarily. And there's some links if you want to pick up my book, Breaking the News, which came out earlier this year, a New York Times bestseller which is amazing because it has a whole chapter in it on how horrible the New York Times is. Uh, It was a year of research, 1200 end notes in all, and it was designed to become the definitive case of how the media has weaponized on behalf of the Democrats, the establishment, and against you. They really wanna take you out. They want to cancel all of us if they can. And it is not enough to say that it is just liberal bias anymore. I, I try to redefine or try to reframe people's thinking in this topic because our media has just become essentially the frontman for multinational conglomerates. Uh, they're not all about the ratings anymore. They're not even about subscriptions. Uh, they don't even really need to make money because they are generally speaking one division of a much broader global apparatus where these giant multinational conglomerates not tied to American values, not tied to the things that make America unique and special and generally created the environments for them to grow and thrive. Well, now they become these multinational global businesses and the media Uh, their media arms are designed to basically protect those interests. And that involves keeping the status quo and keeping out folks like, you know, Donald Trump and his movement. And I think I break that down pretty well. There's lots of great stuff in there that I think you'll enjoy. Fake News Hall of Fame. uh, I introduce you to, I believe, is the new Soros, a lady named Lorene Powell Jobs, who inherited Steve Jobs' money when uh, he passed away. Uh, I think a great summary of all the coronavirus fake news and even a breakdown of all the election improprieties or many of the election improprieties I think are noteworthy from the 2020 election. So all all that for you. Uh, But all the power goes to Breitbart.com. This is my home base and this is where uh, I think has become one of the best, if not the best place to get the headlines of the day, to get a uh, with original reporting and sharp analysis but most importantly an incredible curation of one of the most important stories of the day and uh, we use a lot of the tricks that Andrew Breitbart taught us it is we state our biases up front we're not just a conservative outlet but we're sort of a more of a populist uh, economic nationalist uh, the, the, uh, anti-establishment bent to our conservatism that but we also try to Have fun. We have a good time, and there's a lot of... Uh, jokes entertainment to be found on our pages every day. But most importantly, I think of all is we walk towards the fire, which was Andrew Breitbart's expression for not being afraid of a confrontation, not being afraid of a fight. If you've got the goods, Uh, we tend not to pick the fights, I think. uh, But once a fight has been picked for us, we will fight it. And uh, generally speaking, over the years, we we won. So uh, very exciting to share Breitbart.com and our stories uh, with you. And uh, you're going to hear over the months and weeks and hopefully years ahead, you'll also be hearing from our team from the Breitbart Virtual Newsroom, who I think will uh, you will really love. I, I think you're going to learn to love a lot of these people. They're so sharp, and I learn from them every day, and it's thrilling to work with them. And you're going to get to meet them and they see all of their expertise, which keeps Breitbart uh, not just uh, sharp, but also lean and mean. We've got a lot of really, really impressive People, So again, wherever you get your podcast, you can get the Breitbart News Daily podcast, sort of a director's cut of the radio show. We're going to do monologue with maybe some additional commentary from me, a guest, a caller of the day. You're going to miss some of those great organic moments you get from live radio. So I do encourage you to go to Sirius XM, get that subscription. Uh, but I think this is going to be a, a, a fun ride. And if you're into it. Tell 10,000 friends and family members about us, what we're doing, and encourage them to subscribe. This is a big deal. Big thanks to John Kahn and Larry Solov, who are uh, the top guys at Breitbart, uh, Greg Abbott and Paul Demilio our producers, as well as Little Boss Greg, Medium Boss Liz, Big Boss Dave, and the whole SiriusXM team that have got us to this point. And uh, let's get rolling. hope all of you had a great halloween mine was terrific Uh, we moved neighborhoods recently in my new neighborhood um they cleared us out of candy i would say in 20 minutes i think we probably about four trick-or-treaters in total in uh, my life my adult life prior to this year and this year I was out of candy within maybe I'm exaggerating maybe 30 minutes um, but it was great it was master marlo's first real halloween where he got to really trick or treat and master marlo junior came and he I had him in the backpack um so he dad I got a little bit of exercise and we were all dressed as skeletons we were we were a skeleton family and mama was a skeleton queen she got a Funny hat of some sort. That was actually kind of kind of adorable, and it was fun. And uh, uh, Master Marlowe kept trying to open the candy as he walked, and he got so much. Um, he's kind of a bit of a string bean. Uh, he's got a he's a handsome kid, but he's got this. He's a long lanky build, and he was getting dragged down. I thought the the bag of candy was walking him after a while, uh, but that it was great. And I hope all of you got to have as much fun as I got to have, and uh, you didn't feel cowed by the sjw's to alter your your costumes i think that's important uh, but we got a big week ahead and uh we don't know if andrew cuomo is going to get arrested sounds like he is virginia governor race tomorrow more on that in a second um but i will begin with a a personal gripe i filled up my gas tank for 109 dollars yesterday and i had the only thought that you could ever have if you're in such a situation let's go Brandon I mean it's all you can think is there any other reaction other than let's go Brandon when you're filling up for 109 bucks um and it is not at all coincidental that uh Joe the Biden the brilliant and strong and tough president of the United States was in Rome at a climate summit and it was not a huge success and I will tell you I I will show you by way of anecdote um and by way of clip why it was probably not a big success play one C there Mr. Paul
1: not only Russia, but China, basically didn't show up in terms of any commitments to deal with climate change. And there's a reason why people should be disappointed in that. Um, I, I, I found it disappointing myself. But what we did do, we passed a number of things here to end the, uh, the subsidization of coal. We made commitments here from across the board, all, right, all of all us, right. it's in a, terms it's all, of what we're going gonna...
0: to... chit-chat. China and Russia weren't there. So, you know, a couple of the biggest polluters in the world, China being by far the most, and it wasn't a part of it. And where was the establishment media with this? All of them uh, who are very comfortable with working class Americans, middle class Americans, but particularly the working class Americans, as you've discussed numerous times on the broadcast, uh, the higher gas prices are, the it is a tax, on it is a regressive tax, because people who are in the working class tend to commute longer, and uh, they have longer commutes, and they tend to have less money. So the the higher the gas prices are, it hits them a lot higher than it hits the wealthy. The wealthy do not care about energy prices nearly as much as the poor, the working class, and the middle class. So uh, if China's not there, then it's a big joke. They also put out a statement, and uh, Joe was upset that the statement wasn't as strong as he wanted it to be because China and Russia and Saudi Arabia weren't there as well. So you can kind of pick whichever... Uh, country you want to get mad at based on your political proclivities, but it is uh, a a silly. It's silly stuff, and it's all virtue signaling. Um, uh, We had a headline of Breitbart from yesterday from Simon Kent. Private jets swarm Glasgow for COP26, emit more CO2 than Scots churn out in a year. So the Scots churn out less CO2 in a year than the private jets that went to COP26. So that's the, uh, uh, the, the, the that is the Davos, Switzerland forum every year. That is um, I, I'm sorry, the, the Davos, Switzerland forum every year also has the same issue, which we discuss every year when Davos comes up. So I uh, didn't get much done there. Uh, what did happen was we saw Biden have an 85 car motorcade, 85 cars, pretty good for someone who wants to tell you how much energy you should consume to be a good citizen of the world. And then he went to see the Pope. And so when he saw the Pope, the American media was kept out, and the American media was kept out because uh, there, of course, was a possibility that the elephant in the room would come up, which is that Joe Biden presides over a political party that has a religious doctrine of its own that involves abortion that there was no straying on the issue of abortion in the Democrat Party, uh, which is, uh, uh, some people consider that the slaughtering of the unborn, of nascent human life within the womb, and by some people meaning a pretty good chunk of the public, myself included. So uh, it's kind of awkward for someone who purports to be a Catholic and a good Catholic to preside over a political party, to be the most important person in that party, who will do everything he can to try to, uh, make it so that it is as easy as humanly possible to have abortions, including in the third or even the fourth trimester, which does not even exist. Um. So the the uh, Biden was asked if it came up, and he said the Pope told me I was a good Catholic and to keep receiving communion. So there was no mention of abortion in a readout of the. Conversation between Biden and Pope Francis, which uh, Dr. Tom Williams, our Rome bureau chief, covered for us over Breitbart.com, and then the Vatican was asked if the if they if the Pope had told Biden to continue to receive communion despite his allegiance to uh, the abortion doctrine, and they did not reply. But Biden, of course, said that he was told to give to to continue to receive communion, even though it's hard to it's hard to think that the Vatican would actually suggest he's in good standing as a Catholic. Um, But the Catholic League put out an amazing statement. Their president, Bill Donahue, called Biden a pathological liar and doubted his account of the meeting. Uh, So these quotes are just uh, absolute fire. He said, we know about the Vatican's handling of the meeting and Biden's long record of lying about many important matters. We're maintaining a healthy skepticism about the president's rendition. And then he criticized Biden for having plagiarized speeches from Robert Kennedy, John F. Kennedy, and Hubert Humphrey. Don Hugh also noted that Biden confessed to receiving an F in law school because he plagiarized five pages from a published article. I mean, to think about the obsession we all had to endure over Trump and how we had CNN counting all his lies constantly. And then we're all just supposed to accept that Joe Biden, climate hypocrite, giant motorcade, private jets everywhere, flying into climate summit without China. And then he goes meets with the Pope, cuts off the media. We don't really know what they talked about, but Biden said it was all happy good times talking about what a great Catholic he is despite his abortion position and he gets roasted like this from a prominent Catholic Catholic League president Bill Donahue I mean you would think that maybe this would come off the media I didn't read about it a lot of places I did read about it at Breitbart though um, also not to mention uh, is Joe Biden quarantining right now I got a feeling he's not but maybe he should because White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki tested positive for the coronavirus. Um, she is double vaccinated and her symptoms are mild, we're told. But uh, isn't this supposed to mean Biden's supposed to go in isolation? Supposed to get in one of those plastic bubbles, hyperbaric chamber of some sort for 10 days just in case? Or did we change the rules now? So I, I hope she's all right. I hope she doesn't suffer too much. Coronavirus is not a joke, Um, but it is, I'm I'm still struggling with all of the rules, and I'm also still frustrated with the messaging on the vaccines because this would be a great opportunity to have a reset in the way the vaccines are treated. Uh, You can imagine a lot of the comments over at Breitbart.com and this article about Jen Psaki, uh, we're talking about how you know this proves the vaccine doesn't work, and it, it does prove the vaccine wasn't how it was advertised to us. It was advertised as stopping, you know, 90, 95% of the virus spread, which has clearly not been the case. But it has wildly reduced symptoms, which is not discussed uh, as the main purpose. So it would be nice to have that reset. It would be nice for someone to come out and say, well, the good news is because she got vaccinated, her symptoms aren't that bad. But they won't have that because that would... I don't know. That would actually inform people about what's really going on. So that, that's what I'm rooting for, but I will not hold my breath. Um, the big event that is coming up this week, I would say, and oh, yeah, I, I will note, by the way, that Florida right now has the lowest coronavirus cases per capita in the U.S. So uh, look for that in a front page article in a establishment media publication near you. Hannah Blue wrote for us us at Breitbart, Sunshine State is maintaining its status as having the lowest average daily coronavirus cases per capita in the United States. A feat achieved without intrusive mandates. No kidding. According to the New York Times' Daily Tracker, it was updated on Saturday, Florida's lowest number of cases per 100,000 in the nation of eight So, And they're also tied with, um, or I guess uh, Hawaii's next with nine, Louisiana, Connecticut. You guys seen a pattern? No, there's no pattern. But the one thing that is clear is uh, Florida's done at least as well as the other states, and the media has done everything they can to try to prove Florida's the worst place for the virus. Anyway, the biggest thing probably for this week to keep an eye on is what will happen in Virginia tomorrow with the governor race, with uh, Terry McAuliffe going up against Glenn Youngkin and it's been an interesting race because many of you know I uh, have deep ties to Virginia having lived there for years and it, it is increasingly a state that is run by the Beltway portion of the state which is pretty disconnected culturally from the rest of Virginia but votes in Virginia and that is the part that runs the state more and more and it's really gone from a red state to a purple state to a blue state within the last 20 years uh, but this, the pendulum could be swinging back in a way, and part of it is because of the nature of the two candidates. Um, Len Youngkin, who is the Republican who's been a guest on the show, uh, did something very smart, which is that he made education the centerpiece of his campaign. And according to a Washington Post poll that came out a couple of days ago, it is the number one issue in the race, is education. The Washington Post poll shows that education is now the number one issue in the race, edging out the economy, which is amazing. So with education being number one, that was really a wise move. And I say this because during the pandemic, for example, in my liberal Beltway neighborhood in Virginia, you could not say you support Trump, but you could say, wink, wink, open the schools. That was like the code for I'm not on the left, that the schools were closed for too long. So, Youngkin's run a pretty clever campaign. He's also, he's more of an establishment guy, but I think he's effectively courted uh, the anti-establishment conservative, the more Breitbartian wing of the conservative movement. I think he's done that pretty well as well. And the opposite has happened with Terry McAuliffe, who really seems to have lost his fastball. I've just been watching McAuliffe operate, and he just seems like a taller, chubbier version of Joe Biden. I mean, it's the same stuff. It's the old playbook Uh, that the Democrat machine politicians employ and it just is very cringy and um, the most cringy thing was something that came up towards the end of last week uh, where there was this stunt um, with these uh, tiki torches where these alleged Youngkin supporters had tiki torches which was a homage to the uh, Charlottesville riot where they got the tiki torches from Bed Bath & Beyond or whatever in the greatest most racist or the greatest example of racism in the history of our country really i mean even uh, could it could have been worse than slavery i don't know it might have been um i wrote about by the way in my book breaking the news uh, exactly how exaggerated the charlottesville hoax was by our establishment media so if you guys want to check that out i recommend it Um, But it is, these weren't actually Glenn Youngkin supporters, because if there were a bunch of Glenn Youngkin racist supporters, uh, we would hear about those. Instead, they uh, get actors, basically, to do it. And it was really awkward and cringy and embarrassing. And McCall's just getting tarred with it. Um, Newsweek suggested that this is going to hurt, it's actually going to backfire. It's going to actually make things more difficult for him. Um, Daily Mail, the huge spread on how this is you know not helpful for him. So it was really, it penetrated into the establishment media is my point. Even the establishment media, this did not just live in right-wing Twitter circles. The establishment media even had to address this. came up, I think, even on MSNBC at one point. Yeah, it did with um, James Carville. No, no, I'm sorry. It was on CNN. So it was pulled by the Lincoln Project, which was the Never Trump guy's uh, who I can't believe they're still around. I thought they folded when their leader got busted for, uh, I, I I guess, connections to pedophilia. I, I want to be careful I'm saying it, but that was surprising to me that they're still around. But they were around, they tried to pull up the stunt, doesn't work. And in the meantime, McAuliffe's doing stuff like he's, you know— he, lavishing praise on virginia's public school system which is going in a terrible direction uh, Loudoun county has been one of the flashpoints for the open the schools movement and the anti uh, men and women's bathrooms movement after there was a brutal rape of a girl in a uh, by a boy who wore a dress and went to a girl's room and had a a, a brutal rape there and mccall's lavishing praise on the the school system but he sent his kids to private school So he's not a great spokesperson to defend the failing schools. So he's also doing the thing that all Democrats, people on the left do at this point, which is announce that your opponents are racist, saying that Yunkin's campaign is segregationist attitudes. He's taking over from Ralph Northam, the guy who either wore blackface or a Klan hood and then survived it. He survived it politically, a Democrat. Uh, it's the it's as if that we have zero memory of scandals that involve Democrats, which of course we do. Do we, we ever sort out if he wore the Klan hood or the blackface? I don't think we did. I think that one is still an open-ended question. Um, but then he just points out that anyone who's Republican is racist. Is what they do all the time. It's constant. So it's just not a strong close. He's defending the school system. He doesn't use. He calls his opponent racist. He is a a hate crime hoax, basically, with the not-Yunkin supporters with the tiki torches. So that is not a great closing statement for McAuliffe, who, according to one poll, is down 8%. Uh, Again, the Democrat machine is so strong these days, you would be wrong to overly get excited until you start seeing the votes get counted. But it is one of those things where it is hard not to be a little bit optimistic and open-minded and looking forward to tomorrow, seeing what happens. Because it would be a huge sign in how the momentum has just shifted so quickly for the Democrats and how their brand is just really not strong. Um, Charles Hurt has a column that we're going to be posting at Breitbart where he talks about L. Douglas Wilder, who is the first black governor elected in the United States governor of Virginia who had a a really grave warning for Democrats he's a Democrat himself but he is not a fan of McAuliffe and he's also not happy that McAuliffe is running for governor again because you recall that McAuliffe already was governor and traditionally in Virginia it's a one-term deal so you're in it for one term and so McAuliffe took a breather and then now he's jumping back in he doesn't like that either so not a big McAuliffe fan uh, which hurt says is basically a de facto endorsement of yunkin so uh it, it's a again it, it's hard not to think that this could go in a pretty interesting direction um, and we'll evolve that for you uh, tomorrow so uh, breaking analysis and news and all the up-to-date election news tomorrow night at Breitbart.com. so i recommend tune in throughout the night and then uh, on the show on wednesday hopefully we'll have something to tell you that is Uh, conclusive maybe some good news and then if not uh, it'll be very interesting uh, because again there's lots of discussion that uh, McAuliffe is already prepared to challenge a race if the race is particularly tight. So the first inaugural guest for the Breitbart News Daily podcast will be Senator Tom Cotton. Uh, Senator Cotton's been a regular guest on Breitbart News Daily for a couple of years. And I'll tell you, there's something that I will play for him, which is a side of him I've not seen before. He actually gets a little emotional when he's questioning Merrick Garland in the Senate hearing from last week, talking about a brutal rape that took place in Loudoun County, Virginia, that was basically glossed over by the establishment media and the Biden administration that has been targeting... uh, The parents, the parents who are standing up for their own children in some of these insane school districts that are almost completely hijacked by our unions. Uh, We also get into China and the border and many other topics as well, even a little bit of grit and uh, which I think is really important skill that he brings as well. And we'll get into that right now. Let's roll it. Senator, it's great to have you back on the program.
1: Well, thank you, Alex. It's good to be back on with you. I'm excited to be your first guest on this podcast. I don't know what came ahead of me, but I didn't catch to tell any of your comments, and I just want to make a comment about that. Yes. Any skill, any skill whatsoever you learn with Andrew Breitbart is more useful in the world than any skill taught at Wellesley College or Harvard <laughs> College for that matter.
0: <laughs> so this is amazing because I talk about as a educated person with educated family how I've really been on this trade school learn trades learn crafts learn skills that are translate to being able to have a steady job in the workplace is preferable to the stuff you're going to get unless you're a stem major in a, in a major college unless you need to, you need a laboratory to do your job um, or you need a certification that you can only get from a prestigious school, uh, you're better off being in the workforce and developing those skills and also developing a balanced lifestyle, which is also hard to do uh, because a lot of people are one note, and then before you know it, they look up and they're, and they're 40, and they're, some of their life has passed them by. Um, but coming from you, center that, that's a big deal because you are a community leader in the most elevated sense possible. You're also someone who went to Harvard and Harvard Law. Uh, so expand on that for a minute.
1: Well, Alex, I uh, I studied political science in college, um, and I wish I'd studied something different. And the advice I give to young people today is to study something I would say is hard, um, concrete. Like you said, science, technology, engineering, mathematics. Um, You know, if you're a school that offers courses in finance and business, those are good, too. Um, You know, some of the harder social sciences like economics, economics. Um, or, for that matter, you know, if you if you want to go straight humanities, humanities that have actually been around and been venerated as part of the human condition for millennia, like history or like literature that help you learn about peoples and cultures and times and places different than your own. You do those things, and you still have plenty of time to do what I ultimately did in political science. I was fortunate to have good teachers like Harvey Mansfield and Peter Berkowitz, uh, who steered me towards studying the great books of the Western canon as opposed to nonsense classes about what you can read in the newspaper and probably get better analysis in the newspaper or on uh, websites than you can in some political science textbook. So you can still have what you might call a great books education, just using your electives and some of your basic requirements. In addition, to studying a major that is both fulfilling uh, and rewarding to you personally, but also provides you good practical skills uh, for the future. Uh, Now, if you really want those practical skills for the future and you really want to make a difference for your country i also encourage young people of all stripes and all ages go out and join the army or or join the, join any of our armed forces of course i'm alex i'm partial to our army but sure. uh, i know that a lot of these you know over eager over educated kids coming from ivy league schools you know are very worried that if they take a single step off the treadmill of you know private fancy prep school to ivy league college to google or goldman Sachs or what have you they're going to fall behind their peers but trust me if you spend three or four years in our Army or our armed forces after you graduate high school, after you graduate college, by the time you're in your mid-20s, your peers, your fellow citizens, and yes, employers are going to view you as a much more valuable person to have in their organization than if you had just gone on that overachieving treadmill from the moment you got in of kindergarten.
0: Um, Senator Cotton also wrote a book about his time in the Army called the Sacred Duty. It's A lot of it's autobiographical. I recommend it. And I also recommend you guys pull down Our interview on it, we'd have been an hour on the book, maybe 40, 45 minutes or so a while back. That's on Breitbart SoundCloud, if you hunt that down. Um, And one thing that came through very clearly in your book, Senator, is how the premium on excellence that the old guard in particular, which was your unit, um, the, the the premium on excellence, this is something that I think is really lost in the American dialogue right now. It is all about microaggressions and grievances. And I mean, look at who we've elevated to president. We'll talk about him in a second here. Uh, but that's one thing that was just, uh, anything short of excellent was totally unacceptable. Uh, and that's just totally different than uh, virtually all elements of American life at this point.
1: Yeah, Alex, when you're, Main day-to-day job is to perform military honors funerals uh, for the nation's fallen heroes. Uh, Of course, nothing less but excellence, nothing less than perfection is the standard. Can you do everything perfect? No, Uh, but you can hold yourself to that standard, and then the small imperfections you have, you can always make an effort to do it better in the next funeral, an hour or two hours later. Um, I think that's a, a standard to which all Americans can repair, no matter what their job is, whether they're in the military or they're building homes or they're teaching kids. Uh, or anything else. Uh, that's a high standard to which most Americans want to hold themselves. and They want to celebrate excellence of, of all kinds.
0: Uh, you know, one thing that's interesting, Senator, is that I, I've been interviewing you now pretty regularly for a couple of years and uh, maybe two, two and a half years or so. You've been coming on the show from uh, uh, from time to time. And uh, it it is interesting to see how we have elevated these mediocre people to the top of the heap in our country. And one such example is the Attorney General Merrick Garland, uh, who is a, a Mr. You can't think of a more mediocre person for that role. And he got you a little bit emotional last week, which I've never seen you emotional at all, which I love. I I loved it. I dug it completely. Uh, We got a little clip of it. Let's play some of this from last week's Senate Judiciary Committee hearings. And I want to get some more commentary from you on it, Senator 13A, Mr. Paul.
1: So you you keep citing the school board letter and news reports. News One of the news reports cited in that letter, which you presumably mean, is from Loudoun County, Virginia.
0: No, that's Scott, not, that
2: is not um, uh, what I was talking about. Well, it, not, you
1: keep citing news reports, not, and that's the most prominent news report that anyone in America has seen. That refers to Scott Smith, whose 15-year-old daughter was raped. She was raped in a bathroom by a boy wearing girls' clothes, and the Loudoun County School Board covered it up because it would have interfered with their transgender policy during Pride Month. And that man, Scott Smith, because he went to a school board and tried to defend his daughter's rights, was condemned internationally. Do you apologize to Scott Smith and his 15-year-old daughter, Judge? Senator,
0: anyone whose uh, child was raped is as, the uh, as most horrific crime I can imagine and is certainly entitled and protected by the First Amendment to protest to their school board about. this, But he was cited
1: by the school board association. That's fine. As a domestic not, terrorist, which we now know that letter and those reports were the basis for your job. No, th- this, no, this is this is wrong. Shameful. Judge, that's, this is shameful. This here, this testimony, your directive, your performance is shameful. Okay, that's not. But, thank God you are not on the Supreme Court.
0: You that, should resign. Yeah. Disgrace, judge. Amen. Amen. Uh, Senator, any any commentary on that a few days later?
1: Well, you said that uh, you saw me get a little emotional. I guess the emotion is anger and outrage uh, at Judge Garland's performance in office. And uh, I would agree with that. It is shameful, uh, both his performance at that hearing, but also the fact that he kicked the feds on parents who are going to school boards to express their opinions about their kids' education. And, and he did so on the basis of a specious set of allegations in a letter by a couple left-wing activists at the National School Board Association, activists who didn't even have the approval of their board, much less all of their members. That School Board Association has now withdrawn that letter, and they have apologized for it, yet he continues with this Jeremiah ad against parents expressing their opinions. And in particular, in particular, Alex, I want to cite again the example of Scott Smith. Scott Smith's 15-year-old daughter was raped. She was raped, Alex, in a bathroom by a boy dressed as a girl. And the Loudoun County School Board and their woke superintendent refused to disclose it. They tried to cover it up at a school board meeting. They were trying in June, they were trying to pass a transgendered policy in honor of Pride Month. And Scott Smith had to stand there and listen to that woke school board superintendent deny that his daughter had been raped. Is it any wonder that Scott Smith was a little hot under the collar at that school board meeting to say nothing of parents who are angry that their kids have not gone back to full-time in-person learning, that they still have to wear masks, they have ridiculous quarantine rules, and that they're being taught to hate America. Yet Merrick Garland thinks that all these parents are somehow suspicious, that they may be threats to our republic, even though he has no factual basis um, to sick the feds on those parents. So yes, he should resign in disgrace. I think what you're saying is a perfect example of what Justice Scalia used to write about in the from activist judges. Uh, We're trying to take more control of our society. Judges are very poorly suited for many of the tasks in our government and many tasks in society. Merrick Garland has been sitting up in a courtroom for 25 years, reading and writing legal analysis and supervising three mid 20 somethings who worship the ground he walks on. He is poorly equipped to run the Department of Justice with its sprawling operations, 150,000 employees.
0: Uh, you're clearly correct on this, and it's just very interesting that he sees what is happening in Loudoun County, and he's, he sees the bad guys as the father of the rape victim and the parents who are concerned about uh, some of the, uh, the, the the fact that the teachers' unions have just taken over some elements of Our education system and the parents are getting pushed out of the education process. And he thinks the problem is that some of the parents are just too involved in their children's schooling. It's a very scary thing. But culturally, in Washington, D.C., this is the norm at this point.
1: Oh, very much so. A bunch of bureaucratic know-it-alls who are acting in the tradition of Woodrow Wilson, the original progressives, who thinks things should be taken out of politics, quote-unquote, out of politics, by which I mean out of the hands of the people acting through their democratically elected representatives, in some cases don't even have kids. Randy Weingarten, the head of the American Teachers Federation, the biggest teachers organization in America, doesn't even have children of her own. What a great Yet point. She, presumes, she presumes to dictate to parents about how they should care for their kids, about what they should think about their kids' own education. It's just uh, a perfect example of the modern left and their bureaucratic mindset about how they know better than everyone.
0: Yeah, it's also interesting, you know, Terry McAuliffe, a lavishing praise. Uh, he's running again for governor in Virginia, lavishing praise over the public schools he didn't use for all of his kids. Uh, and it's the same thing. I got a lot of family members in Los Angeles where the schools are unusable and have been for so long. And all all, it's just a unbelievable contest to try to get people to get into the private schools, which are all so highly priced and they were so competitive to get in. And then all the people who go through this rigmarole to get their kids a, a decent education, they all vote for the same people, namely Democrats, who ruined the school system and rolled over for the unions and made it so that the public schools aren't usable for the most part. It's so backwards. But again, our media doesn't talk about it.
1: It is. Uh, but, Alex, I think you might be about to see a break in that pattern in Virginia tomorrow where Glenn Youngkin is going to beat Terry McAuliffe in no small part because Virginia's parents trust him and trust Republicans with education. It is now, according to recent polls, the most important issues to Virginia voters, not surprisingly, when they see yeah. school boards covering up rapes and shutting down schools and imposing mass mandates and indoctrinating kids to hate America. And and this is a change from many races, Glenn Youngkin is soundly beating Terry McAuliffe on the education issue. So in a state that has trended very hard to the left, Alex, they have not elected a Republican statewide since 2009, Every statewide office holder is a Democrat, their legislature is Democrat, Republican congressmen have lost office. You're about to see a massive repudiation of Joe Biden and the Democrats' radical socialist agenda tomorrow. If you're in Virginia, I encourage you, make sure you go out and vote. If you know anyone who's on the, on the fence, get them out to vote as well.
0: Uh, There is no doubt that if Glenn Youngkin wins, it will be because he made education the centerpiece of the campaign. That is a a, a no doubter. And we will see uh, tomorrow or probably Wednesday latest Uh, Senator Tom Cotton, Republican, Arkansas with me, Uh, a couple of topics I do want to check in on. Um, The various spending bills that are afoot, it seems like the debate is amongst Democrats, mostly, Uh, mostly it's uh, whether or not Biden can uh, keep the moderates and then also keep the radicals on the left. And uh, some of this stuff is just so. Uh, unbelievably ridiculous I mean with the latest uh, the, the one that we saw uh, was the the tree equity which is funded in one of the various iterations of the bill uh, we learned that there's we just wasted you know 89 billion dollars on the Afghanistan army which now no longer exists uh, it's just the way we spend money now is just so reckless and wild and it's hard to keep up with the various forms of the bills and what's in them um, where are you at on this, senator
1: well, Alex, I mean, on true equity, come on, we're moving into the holiday season here. Evergreen's can get all the attention. Don't you think <laughs> we need some money to pick up the spirits of <laughs> deciduous trees? They're going to be losing all their leaves. They're going to look sad. I mean, these are the priorities that the Democrats have.
2: <laughs>
1: I mean, it's just preposterous. To say nothing, Alex, of the massive amnesty that Dick Durbin is trying to ram through in this legislation, all for the purpose of giving, giving billions of dollars in welfare to illegal aliens, just like, by the way, the Biden administration now proposes to give $450,000 per person to illegal migrants who crossed in this country during the Trump administration. Think about that, $450,000. That's $50,000 more than we give to American soldiers' families who were killed in the line line of duty, Alex. That's the Democrats' priority. At a time when the price of groceries and gas is running wild,
2: when crime is
1: rising in our streets, when the border is in chaos, when America is disrespecting the world, the Democrats are trying to jam through— trillions of dollars of reckless tax increases and in spending on welfare and on their crony buddies. Uh, so we'll see what happens after tomorrow, Alex, but I gotta suspect that once Glenn Youngkins beat Terry McAuliffe, the House Democratic caucus may turn into a hot bed of cold feet when it comes to passing this massive bill.
0: So do you have any predictions on where we go on this? Because it just seems like if they keep putting stuff like this in it, and if we can figure out what they are, you know, $3 billion for, for, for tree equity, then it just seems like it's far-fetched. These things will pass. But then, again, there's always deals cut in Washington.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's hard to imagine they won't get their act together. Um, but they're in su- I would say they're in such disarray, Alex. I don't want to imply they were ever in array to begin with um but i do think that uh, many democrats especially in the house i won't call them moderate democrats alex because that's an that yeah. extinct species i'll call them vulnerable democrats people like up in virginia uh abigail spanberger or elaine luria uh, who won sure. closely contested races and who can see the writing on the wall with uh glenn youngkin being Karen mccullough and joe biden started to scrape into the 30s on his approval ratings um so we still have a chance to stop this legislation and i encourage all of your listeners to be in touch with their congressmen and their senators, it urge them to keep up their fight. If they're opposed, but especially if they're a Democrat, urge them to stand down uh, and don't continue to try to waste trillions of dollars uh, on taxes that are going to hurt job creation. They're going to take government more government control uh, away from parents and families and communities, and to vote no on this bill.
0: Uh, I want to check in on the border and immigration with you because you did mention amnesty. There are amnesty provisions in a lot of the versions of the bills that are being uh, discussed. Uh, we saw this a shocking number of the Biden administration wanting to pay $450,000 reparations for individuals that were separated from alleged family members um, during the Trump administration. And uh, still, the amnesty push is so big, and this is leading to more caravans. We've had some exclusive footage at Breitbart.com over the last few days of uh, more caravans coming up from Mexico and Central America. Uh, is the, the situation seems like it's going to get a lot worse before it gets better, Senator, but what's your assessment from Washington?
1: Yeah, it, it is just it is so amazing that at a time when we have these caravans, Alex, when we now have probably 2 million illegal migrants having crossed our borders the first 10 months of this year, um, that the Biden administration, after having invited them all to come during the campaign and with their reckless policy earlier this year, now they're pouring gas on that fire. They're trying to give them amnesty and legislation that's pending in front of Congress. They are, for goodness sakes, going to pay reparations $450,000 to supposed family members who were supposedly separated from their supposed children during the Trump administration. In many cases, of course, lying about that being handed kids by cartels right across the border to smuggle their way in. I mean, again, we pay the families of American troops who have died in the line of duty $400,000 in the death benefit. And Joe Biden wants to pay $450,000 to illegal migrants. I mean, what about all of the American families whose lives have been shattered because they've had a child Who's overdosed on opioids that have been smuggled into this country by cartels and illegal immigrants? Where's their death benefit of four hundred fifty thousand dollars, Alex? It's outrageous. It's going to make the situation at the border even worse. It's also going to be completely radioactive for the Democrats at the election next year.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. And I, I, I this is one of those moments that is just should be indelible in the hippocampus. To quote a former. Uh, a a topic du jour in Washington. Um, uh, Senator, last one for the day. Uh, China, you were the first to warn about China, I think, in terms of the danger they pose with regards to the coronavirus of anyone in Washington. I think history will reflect well on on you for that uh, as time goes on. Uh, We've now seen 5 million, uh, again, uh, we don't know how accurate the data is, uh, global coronavirus deaths, still no accountability for China and now I think we're some of these supply chain issues we're seeing and some of the Biden inflation is directly tied to China. Um, and we know that they've had some outbreaks in China recently where we have very li- limited information about that and still no effort to hold China accountable and to get to the bottom of the origins of the coronavirus. It appears from our establishment media and the Biden administration. Uh, where are we on this story?
1: The the media and the Democratic Party still considers it xenophobic and nativist and racist if you even point out the almost now certainty that this virus originated in a lab in Wuhan, not some stupid food market down the street. That China unleashed this plague on the world that, as you said, has now up to five million souls taken over the last two years. Yet Joe Biden won't even say China's name when he gives a speech at the United Nations He begs and pleads, telling them that we're not seeking a new Cold War. Well, Alex, America would never seek a war, cold or certainly hot. But when a country like China and its communist regime is waging a Cold War against us, all we have is a choice to win or to lose. And we are losing that competition under Joe Biden. It is time to get tough on China and to make China pay for what they've done, not just with this plague, but also by destroying millions of American lives and communities with their predatory trade practices, stealing our jobs and our factories, their threat to our peace and our stability and our neighbors and friends and partners and allies in the Western Pacific, and their efforts to spread their aggressive communist ideology around the globe. Joe Biden's not up to that task.
0: Senator Tom Cotton, Republican from Arkansas. I really appreciate it, Senator. All right. Thank you, Alex. Thank you. Be right back. All right, today's caller of the day, Felix, has a very creative approach to turn Halloween to a teachable moment for his kids. I didn't know exactly where he was going to go with this when I took his call, but I was really amused with where we ended up. Take a listen.
2: God bless. Hope everything's going well in your life. Thank I you. I want to call in about Halloween candy since I heard about it going on. I give my children an opportunity to take a few pieces of choice of their own and set it aside, and then I tax what is left. Um, the pieces I set aside I call it a retirement account, and the rest of it I call the government. So I'm teaching them from a young age that they need to think of themselves first, protect what they've got, and understand that some will be taken. And they take it pretty well, and now that they're getting paycheck. They really understand why I've been doing it all this time.
0: I think it's a pretty good illustration of how the government does function. Now, Felix, do you have any second thoughts that you're depriving them of a small joy in their childhood that they're not going to get to enjoy when they're an adult? Did, they, did, you, did you consider that at all?
2: Oh, goodness, no. <laughs> not a bit. I'm Not that I'm evil, but I am. It's just that we always have leftovers from what we pass out to the trick-or-treaters.
0: Sure, so, they know so, they're not so it's a way candy. of being productive yeah. with that. Yeah, yeah, no, that makes sense. Cause, it's, yeah, yeah. It's t- Does anyone eat all their candy? Because I don't think I ever did as a kid. I always wanted more, and then I do think even when I was, you know, 10, I would burn out on it. My mom would cut me off, and then we'd throw it out.
2: I, at, I was finding end. it in my house as a kid but until I was like Thanksgiving time some days. It was terrible, yeah. it was wasteful. Where are my resources being taken care of?
0: I, had no, to learn about I like that. At
2: that.
0: age. Yeah, the candy tax. Now, now it's interesting. Are the older kids taxed more? Because it, I've been experiencing this a little bit, Felix. Because um, my tax rate go, goes up, and I the, some things that I do, my rate is the same. And like some speeches I give, uh, it's the I've got a rate, but I'm generally willing to work with people. And if, if I'm not getting, if my taxes are going up, it means that my rate is actually coming down. Because that means that I'm just getting more of the the my quote confiscated for me by the government, so they can spend it on the Afghanistan military that doesn't exist. I
2: follow you completely, but since yeah. this is literally a consumption tax,
0: uh, I
2: follow the uh, fair tax to a degree, and they end up getting a little bit of subsidy back out of the leftovers. So it's all wow.
0: <laughs> they get a subsidy back. That's very funny. Thanks, Felix. Appreciate it. I got American power. Do for today. Thanks a lot to producers Paul and Greg and everyone on the Breitbart and Series XM teams that make this possible. And thanks to all of you for telling 10,000 friends and family members about us and hitting that subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts. We're also going to post these things on YouTube and Rumble and pretty much everywhere. And uh, let's get the momentum going. Thanks. I'm Alex Marlowe. Thanks for listening.